Welcome to Read This Way. My name is Jace Wingate. My name is Renee Pogue. And, and welcome. God. Oh, no. Thanks for coming back. <laughs> run away. Wait, no, don't run away. Stay. We're happy you're here. <laughs> God, I get them mixed up, He's- Renee. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Now they're never going to come back. I ruined it. <laughs> you're into episode two they're gonna be too scared to come back now i mean if they're not already scared away from episode one i don't know they might have liked episode one i liked episode one i really liked episode one but i'm also a narcissist Hmm. oh yeah no me too me too it's literally like an ayahuasca journey hearing like myself speak it's like some like things begin mm-hmm. bubbling up i'm seeing like childhood traumas from a different perspective hearing my own voice okay i listened to the entire thing and it didn't feel like an hour had passed by i feel like we talked for about 15 minutes before we really got into it and i was like oh wow Seems like we were only talking for like a couple minutes. Like we we're only discussing things for a couple minutes. So we're just super interesting. Yes. Welcome back, listeners. Um, if perchance you made the horrible, terrible error of um, joining us on episode two instead of listening to episode one, we are continuing our journey with Persepolis, uh, the second part. If you are joining us right now, I would like to take this opportunity for us to explain the rules of our podcast. This is a graphic novel, a commentary podcast where Renee and I Mm -hmm. listen to, we don't listen, silly me, I'm such a silly bitch. We read, (laughs) we read graphic novels. We talk, you listen. (laughs) Then we send out polls. Are you registered to vote? Who knows? (laughs) Um. We um, read graphic novels that right now we're just picking out of a hat and are kind of like, do you want to read this? And we're like, sure. So hopefully in the future, we can do some ones that our audience picks for us. But we are a graphic novel commentary podcast, and we're really happy that you're joining us this evening. On Somewhere on your commute, I would guess. That's when I listen to podcasts, when I had a commute. I try to do it when I'm on like the treadmill. For some reason, I really like listening to podcasts on the treadmill. So maybe you're working out and you're listening to our wonderfully addictive voices. Do you think they'll make remixes of like, I like running to like dance music. So I hope that our podcasts get like remixed into dance music. That would be fun. Put, um, put Put some Bronski beat behind it. Yeah. Like some, I, I feel I like it fit. lo-fi, lo-fi into Bronski. Like, oh, it's super chill. They're like super fun. And then as like, you're going up the incline, you're doing the fat burner elliptical. It mm-hmm. starts getting more intense. And then it's just us. Cause then not only are you working out your body, you're working out your brain. Oh my God. Working I, out on top of working out. I wish it's we were like... a brain workout. <laughs> <laughs> we're sharing our knowledge. We're a peanut gallery in the best, mm-hmm. most intellectual way. We're like um, the fun chorus in a Greek comedy or like Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. Oh my God. That's what we bring to the table is we're just here to provide some background noise and share a little bit of knowledge. We're here to make your um, steady descent towards death a little bit easier. What are so the kill names? your dad. So, <laughs> so kill your dad, eat a baby, <laughs> and 
a flaming chariot's gonna come and take you away. Wait, did we start with Hamlet and end with Medea? One hundred percent. That blood's never gonna come out of your hands, but that's okay. It's totally fine. I honestly sometimes I do I love Medea so much that sometimes I wish I wasn't in a happy marriage. Because I just want to emulate her so much. She's so great. You should. There's a really great Irish adaptation of Medea called The Bog of Cats. Or no, it's By the Bog of Cats. And it's so fucking badass. I mean, like, who doesn't want to murder your children and ride off into a chariot? She like, oh my God. It's, I think the Irish one is like way more intense. I did a reading of it um, with this community theater that's amazing in Athens. And... I was doing the reading and this little 11 year old girl, like I can't remember if she's the, she's the child who dies, but like is reading it and then finds out the children are dead and starts weeping. And I'm like, Oh my God, this is so beautiful. And then I was jealous of her that she was so emotionally available. I was like, oh my God, this is so beautiful. And I'm so sorry you're hurting, but also fuck you. I can never do that. <laughs> fuck you. What are feelings? So this episode, we'll, we'll be covering Persepolis 2, the story of a return. Two. Mm-hmm. So should we do a recap of what the first part of Persepolis was for maybe the people who are who didn't heed my warning at the beginning of you need to stop now and turn back? I didn't give them that warning, so they're getting that warning right now, right before we give a recap. <laughs> or if somebody just needs a refresher, but I feel like... I want to hear your synopsis of the first part. Perfect. So in (laughs) Persepolis part one, we find a young girl named Margie who lives in Iran. How am I doing so far? It's truthful so far. Perfect. Great. I'll continue. (laughs) (laughs) So Margie is growing up during a time of war. And she is basically surrounded by the rebellion of the people who stand against the war. Why am I forgetting the name of the war, Renee? Help. The rebellion against the Shah yes. and then the Iran-Iraq war. It was the Iran-Iraq war. So basically, Margie is growing up in a culture where she is basing her entire identity around what it means to rebel against a certain facet of society, particularly one that is ruled by religion. And it comes at a time comes when Iran goes from being very progressive, very amazing, incredible, like we're just taking these huge advances and overnight becomes this very like religious centric. Very. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say like a very theocratic nation. Yes. To a very theocratic nation. And we basically see her in the first book kind of navigating this world, living kind of a double life because her parents are kind of anarchists against this theocratic nation. And she, Mm -hmm. over time, from this young age, begins developing her own opinion so much so she gets expelled from her school. Um, And she meets family along the way who are war heroes. And she begins to like build her identity around these family members who are war heroes sharing these war stories. And basically we find her at the end of Persepolis where she is leaving 
Iran to go live in Austria with a family friend. And that's where we pick up. How was that? Was that a pretty... That's That was great. Really? That was great. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. Thank you, Renee. Oh, God. No, I think that was good. I think that was a very... You know, if you if you haven't read it, I think that's a very good um, synopsis of everything that happens in the first book. The second book really starts off almost immediately after the events of the first book. We so we we find Margie in Austria where she's staying with nuns, which is so strange. I kind of feel bad for her because. I understand why her parents sent her here, and this definitely is a better environment for her, but she goes from having a very strong sense of home to living a very transient existence. Like, she never finds one space that feels like home or feels safe or feels like a place where she can exist for a long time. Every place is sort of just like a stopover. Like she's almost like a frog on a lily pad, hopping from one to another, trying to find one that fits right. And she tries over and over and over again to find these spaces she can inhabit. But every time there's just, it, she just doesn't quite fit. And it definitely starts here where she's supposed to be staying with these people who know her parents but I I didn't quite understand why they had her leave, but I feel like it had something to do with their marriage. Like, their marriage wasn't great. So it was, we need to work on our stuff, so you have to go somewhere. I'm sorry you're in a country you're unfamiliar with. Go live with some strangers. Yeah, it was, I agree. It was very kind of... Um... Because she talks to her mom, too. She talks to Margie's mom and is like, hey, I'm sending her to live with nuns. And her mom's like, okay. But I truly, like, don't think she knew. Because it's you're so right, Renee, because it's very, like, a series of unfortunate events. Like, Mm -hmm. we see Margie end up with, like, terrible, terrible landlords, terrible, like, guardians, so to speak. But, like, ends up meeting these, like, really incredible comrades but we'd never see her like truly thriving amongst these people it's always very much like outsider looking in like she is so at war with her identity as an iranian in austria in this new world that she like can't seem to get in stride with what's going on where, and she like yeah. doesn't need to find that stride too, if that makes sense. And it almost seems like when she does make friends, it's almost like friends by default. Mm-hmm. These aren't people where she's seeking people out because they have things in common, but it's more like, oh, okay, well, you guys, I, I guess I'm an outsider because I don't know anybody and you guys are also outsiders. So I'll just link up with you and hope for the best the only good living situation that i think she has is when she like lives with lara for that little extent of time oh yes and like her family loves her i'm like yes i love this that was really good Mm -hmm. yeah and i don't remember why she didn't stay there i think it was it was literally like her mom so no we it was after a time hop 
So time had passed. Remember, oh, it, was like, okay. it was her coming of age. And then she's like, I'm living in this boarding house with seven other gay men. Oh, yes. Yes, that was so fun. I don't know why she left there either, because her mom loved all of them. I think the lease was up, right? Perhaps. Because then she moves in with Frau Heller, who is like... Psychopath. She just doesn't have that core that she needs to really flourish. Mm-hmm. And it's like every every time she comes so close and then something happens and she gets swished back. Like she moves out of the nun's place or she quits talking to her friends or she finds new friends or she ultimately breaks up with her boyfriend which compounding along everything else and inevitably, you know, causes that terrible downward spiral in like the middle of the book. But it's it's very frustrating reading it because I when I was reading it, like I this I read almost half of this in one sitting just because I was so engrossed in it. And I just wanted good things to happen to her so bad. And every time good things were starting to happen, then it was just like she would get undercut. And I was getting so upset about it. So I was like, no, Margie deserves good things. (laughs) Let me go back in time and somehow be in Austria so I can be nice to this poor Iranian girl. Well, it's, it's just this uphill battle constantly throughout this book. It's like any, you're right, like any little victory is so outweighed by like, the weight that she carries culturally and it's like her parents send her away to this country for a new life essentially and she can't let go of the weight of her culture or the expectations that i don't believe her parents are truly putting on her it's the expectation that she puts on herself yes this like successful for her family she is the one who got out but then she has like this beautiful like experimentation with like all of these things like i think she does a great job of growing up like in spite of Mm -hmm. all of these anchors and these like shackles that she's wearing i think so too and I, i i definitely think it helps her grow as a person and it helps her when she starts really doing her art I think going through that helps her flourish because she has all of this, all of this story to build on. You know, she has an experience not many people in Iran have. Not many, you know, when she goes back. Oh, sorry. Spoiler alert. Although it is called the story of the return. (laughs) Spoiler alert for the second (laughs) half of the book. (laughs) But when she goes back to Iran, she's like a novelty they're like, ooh, tell us all about Europe. What is Europe like? But a novelty until culture tells her not to be. Until, like, she's a novelty. They want to hear it until it goes against, like, their morals. You're fun and interesting until you go too far. Yeah, until we find out that you had premarital sex and we're like, you're a fucking whore. Like, you can't ask. Right? You can't ask a question and then be mad when you get the response, Karen. Sorry. She didn't bring it up. It's not like she busted in there off the plane and was like, hello, old friends. You know who's still a virgin? Not me. Ask me all about it. AMA. Like, they brought it up. And it's it's like they were, ups- they were upset with her initially just for having done it. And then when she said she had done it 
with more than one person, it was just like, oh, it was different between you and a whore. Lots of Truly, things. like you are a lady of the evening. You wear silk skirts. You sing songs until the break of dawn. <laughs> you seek out men to steal their souls by having sex with them. Mm-hmm. And I know that I asked you that question and you answered it honestly. But I'm on it. I'm definitely seeing you in a different light. So. Yeah. It would be like I'm trying to think of a question that I could ask you. If I, if I was <gasps> ask me if a I was question. Like, if I was like, um, Jace, how do you feel about dogs? Um, I prefer cats, but I don't hate dogs. Wow, that's really kind of selfish and awful of you, and it really tells me a lot about who you are as a person. I can't believe that you hate dogs. Oh I don't even know God. if we can be friends anymore. No, Renee, I'm sorry. <laughs> you- like, that's basically what happens. It's just like, you started this, and they answer, and you turn their answer. Like, it's just like a friendly conversation, and then it just turns instantly. It's almost like social media is- politics. Mmm... I love the people – okay, and this is to bring it back to the graphic novel because this is actually a really great point. Um, remember when the fucking officer, like, yells at her in the street to stop running because her butt might, like, make men think heinous thoughts? And then she screams at him, like, stop mm-hmm. looking at my ass. Yes. Favorite scene. Um, Favorite scene. Shooketh. I was like, yes, because you could, like – I don't know what the crime for telling an officer to stop looking at your ass is. Like, do you get your butt chopped off? Like, or is that like (laughs) they take your tongue out? But that is the same fucking energy as these people on social media who like will have people who work in the medical field or have like a family member who works in the medical field. It's literally like they have the degree or they like work in the realm of it or like it's a family member who like has spoken to their family member who like works in the field. And this fucking Joe Schmo will be like, well, uh, I don't really know that I trust that or I believe that because what I've read, which is some fucking non-peer-reviewed, like, conspiracy article, like, mm-hmm. or, like, some fucking, like, I don't know, Vogue puts out some pretty good shit nowadays. So I don't want to diss Vogue, but. Yeah, they do. Like. Mary Claire. You can just marry Claire. Exactly. Or or National Enquirer. <laughs> like truly that level of like journalism where they're like kind of getting their yeah. information. And they will fight these people who like are are in in so many words, like not experts. The experts are experts, mm-hmm. obviously, right? Like the people who work in the field are seeing it the most. But like these these and these relatives of experts. Yeah. So like this man trying to fucking police a woman for running like get out quit looking quit looking quit quit looking and when she stands up in the lecture about the scarf length and like the pant the whiteness Mm -hmm. of the pant leg and stands up and is like why do we have to alter this when men get to wear their hair however they want and wear the clothes that they want sometimes so tight we can see everything yes i'm like that was such a good point it was so good she succeeded because she was honest and I thought that was so cool that she was rewarded for being honest because it so easily could have turned out bad. Oh, she like we saw. 
Yeah, we saw in the first book and we not so much in the second book, but I mean, we de- there are definitely stories of people who were beaten, flogged or just disappeared completely for lesser offenses than telling somebody that you don't speak Arabic so you don't say the prayers, you know? Oh yeah, her her entrance like the yes is it the, she was honest she was honest it was the what's it called exactly it wasn't a religious exam but it was ideological test it was the ideological test yeah and she goes in and it's just so so upfront and like so honest which was uh which again she was lucky because she had a good proctor being honest about not wearing the veil and why she thought wearing the veil was a little silly not for the religious aspect, but the fact that men can't fucking control themselves. Mm-hmm. That was- Although I forgot to say this when you were talking about it, but I thought it was so cool when she was challenging them about the uniform. And then they were like, okay, well then come up with a uniform. And she ended up coming with the coming up with yeah, the exact same uniform. That was really exciting. It was the exact same. Yeah. <laughs> like the, sh- the shoulder length veil and the baggy pants like it was the exact same and it got approved like that's powerful right there to me like yes yes please well that's- fantastic work margie it's powerful and at the same time i'm just like god why like it's such it's such a ridiculous thing to police that of course, like it's so it's so brilliant. Like, of course, why not come up with the same uniform? Because they don't have any other example of the uniform mm-hmm. like lying around. So of course they're gonna approve it because they like the way that looks. It was it's like when it's like when people like to talk just to talk. That's what policing the women's uniform was like for me. Just making a big deal out of something that could be the shit could be and should be nothing. Well, it's like one official like looked at a woman and like hadn't masturbated in like seven days and was like, oh, I'm attracted to her. So there's something wrong with her uniform or the her clothes, the way she's wearing them versus mm-hmm. the actually knowing that he's the problem. But it culminates in I mean, I think her and her friends definitely have their own forms of rebellion against that which i think is awesome parties i was just throwing that in there oh yeah 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 yeah. that's that was gonna be your next thing is just like having these private lives that are so different from their public lives where they are they're doing the same thing her parents did they're having these fun parties and you know trying to stay three four steps ahead of the religious police And it's just like, it's funny how cyclical time is because now her friends are the ones dumping alcohol down the toilet and, you know, chasing people out the door and pretending like they weren't doing anything. And it's very, it's, it's fun. It's, it's, um, I kind of loved how so much of the stuff we talked about, about the first book just kind of reiterates itself in this book. Like in the last last episode for the, you know, book one, we talked about how she had all of her little rebellions. Like she's still following or being forced to follow this rule, but she has her little rebellions. And in this, she had her and her friends have their little rebellions too. So it's interesting that even living under this like theocratic 
very strict rule, there are still these little steps and little occasions they take to still live and be human. Do you remember when they were at the party and the police came and they were running across the roofs and then the one guy missed and he fell to his death? I, yeah, I was thinking about that. That's so tragic. Yeah. Badass, but tragic. But like, again, at what cost? Like, it was a fucking party. And for them to celebrate, like, your friend's in hell now, like, fuck you, officer. Like, get out. Like, you're a, fu- you're mm-hmm. a monster. Like, that's... That's nothing to celebrate. And just that they're just like, oh, let's round up these whores. Like, just because, oh, they have the audacity to be people and to, like, do people things and to, like, recognize and indulge in their own human nature rather than shove it deep, deep, deep down and pretend like we're robotic servants of a religious deity and not an actual human being. We're literally just, like, the soil in which you plant your wheat. I mean, for women, they probably, I'm sure that's a metaphor they would have literally used. How about when Margie's grandma fucking sets her straight? I loved that. I loved that too. I was waiting. As that situation was happening, I was so mad. I was like, holy shit. I guess I kind of understand it, but you're also really being a bitch here. Well, and like to know what happens when you get taken away by those police, why would you? And I didn't know if it was going to be one of those things where, you know, sometimes in the course of the book, thematically things will disappear and not come back. So like when she lost, but I'm like, Oh, yeah, that's kind of shitty. So, mm-hmm. and then it didn't come up for a little bit. And I'm like, oh, so I guess we're just moving on from that. And she tells her grandma, and she's like, you are a bitch. Mm-hmm. You are literally a monster. Like, your relatives did not go to war. Your uncle did not die. Your grandfather did not die in vain. Like, you, for you to do that. Yeah, for you to treat other human lives as expendable when you could just mind your own business. Although her boyfriend was a real dick once he saw her. That color doesn't Every guy she you. hates is, is kind of a, terrible. a real dick. They're terrible. It's like, oh, you almost got in trouble for wearing a lipstick that barely suits you. Like, fuck you, buddy. It's almost like they're the men that were like just there. Like, oh, I can date you because you're here right now. I don't remember the circumstances of how she meets her boyfriend in Austria, but like the other guy is just like, oh, at a party. The boyfriend in Austria was through Laura, right? Because she was going to the commune and like they were tripping and smoking weed. Like goes on a date. I hate like, I'll take you home, but let's split gas. Right? Be still my fucking heart. Like, thanks. The fact that she still dated him after that was ridiculous. Just ridiculous. Well, I feel bad for her too because every encounter she has, she's basically getting screamed at to leave. She's treated like literally scum of the earth. I mean, I've seen the way she looks now. She's a fox. I'm sure she was also very good looking when she was younger, but she just does not get treated well or respectfully by guys in Austria. No. And then you have her when her return to Iran. Spoiler alert. Dun dun. (laughs) Um, She, you know, she's a hybrid. She's this, she is a woman. She's an Iranian woman who left Iran, went into the world has become cultured, has seen the bigotry of the world, and then comes back to Iran and is no longer just purely Iranian. So, like, it weighs on her even more. You know, she falls into that depression. Again. Again. Which was so tragic. So tragic. And how about that flip switch? That's what's wild to me, is that, like, she wakes up one morning. I won't spoil that part. She wakes up and the, fl- and the switch flips. 
She's like, oh no, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna change everything. He becomes an aerobics instructor and starts she perming her hair. An aerobics instructor. I how? Yeah. I was like, how? How does one do that in 1980s Iran? That just, but I mean, I I trust her, but I was just like, I could that can't couldn't be me, sis. Could not be me. Yes, yeah, sis. My 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 flip switch is like, oh well. I'll I'll send out all three emails I'm supposed to send out today. Literally, of just <laughs> sending two and having an existential crisis about the third. Mine's like maybe I'll read like, more than twenty pages of a book. One of the other things that I thought was interesting about when she was still in Austria is just the type of people she hung out with. And she did kind of, it makes sense for her to group herself with these anarchists and these kind of punks and rebels. It shows, I guess, the different level of privilege. Because, of course, in her own country, she is um, a privileged person. But compared to these people who have literally never lived in a war zone... She has such a different experience than them when it comes to resistance. Yeah, I love when she like lashes back at Momo when he's like the one who's obsessed with death. Oh, yeah. What a fucking turd. What a literal monster. I'm like, you need to Mm -hmm. like, I don't even know what he needs to do, but I hope he did it. I hope Momo found God. (laughs) I hope he found, I hope he found something. I hope we found something, even if it was just uh, concrete finding its way to his leather jacket. Um, God, snaps. But, you know, it, <laughs> but he's just he's just like that level of like punk anarchist where he still has such like a privileged existence and is talking about going on a fucking ski trip. His version of a rough existence is like I had to buy a cheaper version of skis than I wanted and I'm mad about it and it's just so frustrating he's oh I I hated him from the moment I saw him I was I was not a fan I love when she fucking puts him in his place when she's like she's like you don't know anything about death I know people who no who do you know she has had to live around death she's had to deal with it extensively you know, mm-hmm. it, it was a, a part of her life for years. And this person who's just like, for him, it's just a novelty. And I think you you hit the nail on the head when it's it's the game of privilege. It's like privilege does become kind of this like relative scale depending on where you come from. Mm-hmm. So like, you're right. Like Margie from where she comes from does come from privilege. Like she gets to leave the country, which in itself is a privilege. And when she goes back to her country and when we were talking about like her and her friends having their parties, the reason that they continue to have them even after because their parents their can friend afford to bail them out. They have the money that if they do get caught, their parents can get them out of jail, which is not something the average Iranian has. Yeah. If they ban parties in America, my ass is going to go to a party and I'm going to be in jail. I'm going to learn how to throw parties in jail. If we if we had banned parties four months ago, we could be having parties now. So I have a question for you. 
if yes. if this so if we end up in like the um, Handmaid's Tale universe, we get more, four more years of Trump. <laughs> we're headed towards Handmaids. Um, how are we going to survive? Are you going to be a Martha? Or are you going to be um one of the like misses? One, I am a, a thousand percent going to be a Martha. I'm going to be like, oh, I'm so old. My ovaries. Can I be your Martha friend? Yes. Yes. And then I'm also going to petition every English speaking nation and be like, will you accept Americans seeking asylum? Thank you. Did you have you seen the most recent season of uh, Handmaid's Tale? Actually, yes. Yes. And here's here's the thing. Not only have I seen the latest season, I have only seen the latest season i've never seen any of the other episodes renee okay that's hilarious because that's like when <laughs> i okay no that's when that's like when i accidentally like started under the dome but i started it at season two episode one and they were like they were doing a recap of what season one was and my ass not realizing it was season two episode one was like wow they're really trusting their audience it's like a lot of information to take in they're really describing <laughs> us in the middle of this yeah cat likes to do that to me because she's seen all of it she watched it from the beginning she's seen every single season and she was like the latest season is out and i want to watch it and i'm going to watch it so if you want to watch it with me stay in the room if you don't go do something else and I was like, whatever. I'll just fucking watch it with you, whatever. Yeah, I'll go drink. So I was just constantly asking. I was like, who's this? Who's this person? Who's this person? I'm sure it was kind of annoying, but I was like, whose baby is that? Why is there a baby? Why does this guy hate her? Why is he so mean? Oh, I would have totally told what? you. I would have been like, this is who this is. This is why we hate them. They're a bad person. <laughs> Um, I was like, why is Bradley Whitmore here? Oh my god, is Bradley Whitmore not so fucking sexy? I'm not the right person to ask, but... I think he looks better I, uh, in older I like age. Him. I think he, like... Yeah. I, I hated him with the, when he was younger with his red hair. I loved him in Billy Madison. And I love him in The West Wing. But, like, let me tell you... I start flooding downstairs when I see him on Handmaid's Tale. I'm like, you are so fucking hot. I don't know how like you went from how you looked back then to how you look now. Like he just looks incredible, and like he did age well. I mean, I feel the same way about Joan Cusack. So I I understand completely what you mean. I guess kind of piggybacking on what we just talked about, stupid fucking Momo. It is funny when she's back in Iran and her dad is, her and her dad are laughing about the fact that Europeans are worried about the Gulf War. Oh, yeah. When they're like 200 miles from the actual war versus like them literally living in the middle of a fucking war. When Kuwaitis actually live there. Kuwaitis, that sounds terrible. People from Kuwait. They should really have named their country better but yeah and like they literally have people from kuwait living there like emigrating to their country and people in europe are just like oh it's so i'm so scared and her and her dad are just like okay you you have no fucking idea you have no fucking idea and you have nothing to worry about because there's no way this is going to touch your soil having the having the time to like create a fear of war 
versus people who live in it mm-hmm. who are like, I have to live in this. At the same time, and this is morbid, morbid a little bit, but they're happy that Iraq is getting attacked and they're not getting attacked. Exactly. Yes. I feel like they're like this is they're like this is fantastic. We don't have to deal with it. It's just Iraq that's getting bombed this we time. We literally get to have peace. And because mm-hmm. they're getting bombed, there's less like of an of a magnifying lens over them. They get to kind of live their life a little bit more. Exactly. I do kind of seeing her her marriage kind of deteriorate is very sad. Yes. Going from a war to an inner war. And like I kind of hate where they draw. I think it's it's well it's well placed. She places it well, but I wish she hadn't said that they end up getting divorced as early as she did because it's like uh, I get I get the mechanic. I think it's a really great mechanic to use in storytelling, but I just think it came a little bit too early. You find out right away, like as soon as they get married or as soon as she gets her father's blessing, like it's like oh my my father when we got divorced. my father knew that it's it's as though my father knew that we would be divorced. It's another couple dozen pages where you see this marriage deteriorating and you already know how it's going to end. You already know they're going to get divorced. And it is kind of sad how how much it deteriorates so quickly. They're they're sleeping separately after a month yeah. of being together. I, I really wonder how much of the divorce actually like propelled her into leaving the country again oh i'm sure it was a a big catalyst because it's one of those things where it's like okay i really have to find myself like i don't have a crutch anymore i and also she it's different from the first time she left because now she has all this experience she has all this experience she has all this wisdom you know she's 10 years older and she's more prepared to be on her own and also i think she's going to a country more suited to her that's more her choice because she went to a french school so going to france makes sense exactly and it wasn't an exit of convenience which is what austria was is just we know somebody in vienna so you can go here this is like i no French. I can make it in France. I can be on my own. I can do this. I don't have to use anybody else for a crutch. I am at a point where I can be on my own. So it is, it's interesting and sad and lovely and cyclical and wonderful way of storytelling. Just the way she turned, you know, the second book ends the same way the first one does, but it's a completely different journey. And it's on her terms. Yeah. She's not a completely different person, but she's a very different person. She's still, at her core, she's the same, but she's grown and developed so much. Like, what a journey. Like, truly to... I think memoir is such an interesting genre because it truly... Like, you have to... It's not even... I, I feel like memoir gets a bad rep because I think sometimes people are like, oh, you're so obsessed with yourself that you need to write a story about yourself. When in actuality, I think like she is she is so unique and her story needs to be told because it's, it, it's a voice for so many people who were voiceless, right? Exactly. And, and she's telling the story that so many people didn't know. Like, I don't need to hear another Jack Kerouac-esque memoir. (laughs) I don't need another 
privileged white person from an upper middle class family talking about their drug adventures in college. No, thank you. But this is a story I'm unfamiliar with. And this is a situation I'm unfamiliar with and one I haven't lived and one I haven't heard about. When I first started it, I got halfway through immediately. And the first time I read the first book, I think I got through the entire thing in a day because it's it's just engrossing. It's you're feeding yourself a food you've never had before. Yeah. And it's delicious. It's so good. It's just, it's so, she does such a great job of seeking out that which is universal. Like it's, yes. it's relatable because it's a human being who is living under different extreme circumstances than what I or you are living under, right? Mm-hmm. So it's so, and like still, it's so riveting and it's so moving and just so like, it's eye-opening. Yeah, it's an entirely different experience than I have seen or am used to. And to hear it told with such a vibrancy, like, ev- just like every part of her that continues to rebel against everything around her and her finding the the dark humor and the way to still live and be a human being like this this story told by a different person could be very dry and uninteresting and simply tragic but because of her lived experience and the kind of person she is it's comes so close to being hopeful so many times that you want to keep reading because you want the good thing to happen and occasionally a small good thing will happen and you're like okay a small good thing happened maybe a big good thing's gonna happen okay she turned her life around maybe this is gonna be the upward track and I think there's something immensely relatable to our generation in particular about the idea of constantly having to get yourself back on track mm-hmm. and doing so well and thinking that you're on the cusp of finally getting it together and then having a setback. I think that definitely speaks to us as a generation. Absolutely. And I think that is such a salient point. I think, and we spoke on it earlier, like the fact that she is carrying culturally like the generations behind her that she leaves behind in Iran. And I think it's so relatable because we do that at such not, not to such like a macro level. So we're not leaving our country Mm -hmm. and carrying our country's ideals, but culturally in America, we do kind of have that happen, especially in the South. I would absolutely agree with that. There's definitely an, an, an expected carrying on of certain ideals and Morals. behaviors. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about? No, I think it's beautiful and I definitely recommend it. I never read the second part of Persepolis, so it was very nice to kind of like sit down with it and really consume it and really just kind of sit with it. And I think it's truly like, It has to be consumed in two parts. I feel like it's so... The way the first and second part are divided is just perfect. With her leaving the first time as a teenager 
and having that traumatic experience coming back because she needed to having the experiences she needed there growing there and then leaving again I think it was right for her to leave the second time and the way it's paced and I just think it's beautiful and it's great and I I feel bad because I I think I've had this book for four years ish and I it just sat on my shelf I never read it and I I wish I had earlier it's such a great read it honestly is such a great read now we have to pick something else. <laughs> I know. We're going to gonna have to send me a list of ones you're reading right now. Oh, I have ideas of ones we should read together. I'll send you three that okay. I have ideas for. Listeners, if you have anything you want to suggest, I'm not really sure how you could do that right now because I, th- I don't think we have an email set up. But <laughs> no, we, do, we have not. Did we I don't have call, email. Did I see listeners or readers? I guess since they're technically, I'm we're assuming they're reading with us, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. We'll know what the next episode is when we sit down to record it. <laughs> I mean, I guess they could always send it to our personal Instagrams if they have a suggestion. If you're comfortable giving your personal Instagram. Oh my gosh, yes. So my Instagram handle is... That Jace Kid, spelled T-H-A-T-J-A-S-E-K-I-D. And my personal Instagram is Pogue underscore like the band. An inside joke that, well, not an inside joke, just a joke that only I get. (laughs) But that is P-O-G-U-E, like Vogue, but with a P, underscore like the band. It's literally just a way to try and... um get people to pronounce my last name right because so many people struggle with it for some weird reason. Poggy. Poggy. Yeah. Poggy. Mm-hmm. Pooge. Ugh. <laughs> Correct. My, the, my hair just stood up. <laughs> <laughs> or I'll like, I'll like, uh, or people will be like, how do you pronounce your last name? And I'm like, okay, there's like literally one of the most famous magazines in the entire world it rhymes with my last name. So like Vogue, but with a P. Pogue. Very easy. And I still don't get it. They're like, Whatever. they're like, wait, what? Yeah. And then they go, how do you spell it? And I'm like, P-O-G-U-E. And they're like, P-O-U-G-E? No. Nope. 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 And I'm leaving. <laughs> and it was very... No, and- it was very nice to meet you. <laughs> very nice to meet you, Mr. Spielberg. I am leaving. Yes. Can't spell my name right. I'm not ready for my oh. close-up, Mr. DeMille. <laughs> so, listener, you've been on a very long, arduous journey with um, Renee and me throughout this uh, exploration of Persepolis by Marjane Satrapi. And we really appreciate you coming along with us. I'm a human being on this planet right now. And times are scary in America. And that's not okay. Because you should never be scared to live in your country. Because in an ideal world, we live in a system where we are allowed to vote out a dictator when he's a monster. But we can't do that right now. Because America is a dumpster fire. But... (laughs) We really appreciate you being a part of this little 
slice of joy that Renee and I have carved out of the shit pie that is America right now and living in America. So we hope you continue listening. It's a joy to share our thoughts and our opinions with you. And we hope to continue to do that. So thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. I'm Renee Pogue, and he's Jace Wingate, and this is Read This Way. This Way.